Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following podcast contains dramatizations of actual events. Certain situations, dialogue, names, and locations may have been changed. Some scenes are graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. From the moment a mysterious family moved into the little house on Frame Street, life was never the same. People in the neighborhood were saying that they were very strange. We heard a lot about cruelty to dogs and cats and even running down the street with the cat head on a stick. Things that were unbelievable. A doorway into a house of horrors is opened. The floor moved because of the amount of cockroaches. But this devil's lair is only the tip of the iceberg. When you see that many stab wounds, it's rage. It's personal. It's saying to someone, I don't care. And the dark secrets of an entire family will be revealed. And you think, okay, it's over. Well, not so fast. It's almost in the family like a cult. Charleston is nestled between two mountain ranges of the Appalachians in central West Virginia. People are very friendly here. Everyone knows everyone. You know your neighbors. You talk to your neighbors. That's a big draw for people to live in Charleston. The tree-lined streets of the West Side neighborhood known as The Hill was once a place people were proud to call home. Everyone knew everybody else. You knew all the kids. You knew who lived where. And 82-year-old Phyllis Ferris is a staple in the neighborhood. Phyllis was a very easy person to know, and she talked to everybody. There wasn't a person in the neighborhood that she had anything bad to say about. But in the early afternoon of June 14, 2009, an eerie silence falls over the hill. 
No one has seen or heard from Phyllis in over 12 hours. Phyllis had the same routine every day. She got up, she would come out on the porch and bring her a cup of coffee and get her paper. And she and I would sit there and read the paper on our separate porches. 12 miles away, Phyllis's daughter Karen picks up the phone. Karen called her mom to see how her night went and just to talk to her and couldn't get an answer. And then she did become very worried. She and her husband came to the house as quickly as they could. From the moment they arrive, they can sense that something is very wrong. The porch light is still on and the newspaper is still out. And Karen knew right there that that was a problem. Her husband opened the door and uh, called out to Phyllis. Phyllis. And there was no response. And then they saw Mrs. Ferris. Yes, we need a cop up here, 1316, please. Ma'am, 1316 what? Is it a murder? 1316 what? At Fame Street. Well, what? Her daughter went in there to check on her? Uh Uh-huh. And she's dead. Just kidding. Has she been having trouble with anyone? No, as I know of. They said there's blood everywhere. She was covered in blood. There was blood on the walls, blood on the lamp, on the curtains on her table. She wasn't there if you've uh, seen a weapon or anything laying around. When I heard Karen scream, I said, oh my Lord, I lost it. By evening, a crowd of concerned neighbors gathers on the sidewalk. Everyone was curious and anxious and afraid. And in the middle of the chaos is a pale-skinned boy with red hair. No one knows it yet, but this boy holds the key to unlocking the mystery of who killed Phyllis Ferris. The Mallows were one of those families everyone wanted out. They moved into a home, the entire clan of the Mallows trashed it, made it absolutely unlivable, and then they would get evicted and then they would move on. The family of eight is headed by 65-year-old Alexander Mallow and his wife, Carolyn Sue. They have four children, Farris, Trina, Mikey, and Thomas, as well as Trina's two children. To most people who encountered the Mallows, They were a sight to see and smell. They wasn't clean people. They stunk. Their house was never clean. It was very dirty. I couldn't stand to stay inside of it because it stunk so bad. A lot of people says I wish they moved off this hill. It was daughter Trina who started the migration to Frame Street. When the uh, house became empty, Trina moved in with her two little children. But 28-year-old Trina preferred living with her family over being alone. She was getting lonesome. She wanted her mommy and daddy. It was a slow trickle of family members at first. Her parents would come and visit, but then 
first thing you know, while they're staying a week at a time, and then they'll go back up to their house up on the hill. And then they were all living there with Trina. They just more or less moved in on her. And it was downhill from there for Frame Street. From the outside, the home appeared to be a modest home, and then trash and things started to build around the outside of the house. They brought in so much junk. They would go get stuff out of people's trash. They had it stacked all around the house in the yard. But filth couldn't explain the strange behavior neighbors would witness on a regular basis. I did speak with one lady, and she was neighbors with them. and. She was scared of them. She just told me about some crazy things that she said that she observed going on in and outside of their house. Mikey, he had a weird sense of humor. He would put up scarecrows in the yard and dress them up like in battle fatigues. He really was scary. They had guns, they had knives, they had swords. All kinds of weapon in that house, and a lot of people were scared of them. But humans weren't the Mallow Boys' primary targets. It was kind of incredible the stories that they were relating to us, particularly with animals. We heard a lot about cruelty to dogs and cats, and even running down the street with the cat head on a stick, things that were unbelievable. Mikey has killed seven kittens and buried them under the house. He killed two dogs, took a stick and beat them. Often, cruelty to animals indicates deeper dysfunction. When you see a family who degrades, dehumanizes, harms pets, that's the beginning of saying life doesn't matter. That is, becomes the rule. However, there was one mallow who seemed to be different from the others. Thomas's hair was red, and all the rest of them had dark hair. He never said very much, and he was one of these that wouldn't look you in the face when he talked to you. He hardly never played that much outside. For some reason, he said he was always bashful. But young Thomas was always willing to lend a helping hand. Thomas would come over, would shovel snow for me, would rake my yard, cut grass, any little old thing. Thomas's gentle spirit doesn't go unnoticed by Phyllis Ferris. Thomas and Phyllis were friendly to begin with. He would come over and do things for Phyllis, and he would sit on the porch and talk to her. You have a special future ahead for you. You know that. I think that she was trying to guide him in the right direction and be there and be that one adult role model that he so desperately needed. Of all the people on that street, I think that he looked up to her and listened to Phyllis. He was just 14 years old, and here he is in a house with all of these adults doing incredibly cruel things. I think Mrs. Phillip is trying to give Thomas a break to help. And Mrs. Phillip was always that way with Thomas. She loved Thomas. 
It seemed Phyllis found a friend in young Thomas Mallow. But kindness can't save her from the menace that's coming her way. Thomas says he couldn't see his face. He just knew that he could tell that he was black and that he was large. And what seems like a straightforward investigation will become something larger and more terrible. The amount of rage is horrendous. You're sitting there saying, I hate you, I hate you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Ever since the Mallow family moved into the small house on Frame Street, life hasn't been the same. It was kind of incredible, the stories that they were relating to us, particularly with animals. And a lot of people were scared of them. A lot of people says they wish they moved off this hill. Kindly neighbor Phyllis Ferris has befriended the youngest of the Mallow children, 14-year-old Thomas. 
Phyllis was concerned and wanted to help him. Well, I think good things are going to happen for all of you. But summer. she's about to discover that sometimes no good deed goes unpunished. Karen and her mother had gone to dinner and gone to a movie. She takes her mom home. Her mom goes into her house. Phyllis begins getting ready for bed, but she hears yelling outside and takes a peek out her window. There was an argument or there were loud children in the street. And one of the kids making trouble is Thomas Mallow. Mrs. Ferris stepped out and she told Thomas that he needed to, to quiet down, that it was creating a ruckus. But Thomas doesn't like to be told what to do. Thomas apparently snapped at her for her to mind her own business, which was a little uncommon between she and Thomas. Stunned at his nastiness, Phyllis goes inside and turns in for the evening. But later that night, there's a knock at her door. It will be the last time Phyllis ever answers. Metro communication. Uh, yes, we need a cop up here, 1316, please. There's, there's been a murder. Her daughter went in there to check on her, uh -huh. and she's dead. They said there's blood everywhere. After fielding the call, Charleston police quickly swing into action. It's a chaotic scene. It's a controlled chaos, but it's very busy. There's a lot of activity going on uh, during a murder investigation. Lieutenant Steve Cooper and Assistant Prosecutor Mary Claire Akers arrive on the scene. Upon entering the crime scene, the first thing that I see is Mrs. Ferris on the couch, and she's covered in blood. There was a large amount of blood in her upper torso area, her neck and face. The couch had a large amount of blood. There was blood on the walls, blood on the coffee table, lamps, curtains. It was very gruesome. I've seen a lot of gruesome crime scenes, uh, and uh, it was more unsettling than most. And the viciousness of the crime suggests a possible motive. The amount of rage that someone who stabs somebody 30 times is horrendous. You're sitting there saying, I hate you, I hate you, or I'm angry at you, or you've hurt me. This scared me to death. Never anything like that went on in our neighborhood. Outside on Frame Street, a curious crowd is growing. Neighbors, everyone was kind of standing outside while the police were trying to do their jobs. Amongst the crowd is the Malo family. And as usual, there's one who stands out from the others. I start noticing a boy. Uh, he had very red hair, his skin was pale, and he was riding around on a bicycle. And he just kept doing that. That struck me as odd. Number one, that he was out there at all, and number two, that he was riding his bike around and seemed to be interested in what we were doing. Lieutenant Cooper notices something strange about the red-headed boy. Some of the expressions on his face made me a little leery of him. He just seemed almost more than curious. He studied me for a while. He appeared to be pondering on something. And then he approaches me. As it turns out, Thomas offers Detective Cooper a strong lead. He said he had seen a black guy on Mrs. Ferris's porch and that he had a hood 
pulled over his head. He couldn't see his face, but he could tell that he was black and that he was a big guy, and that he went into Mrs. Ferris's house. Lieutenant Cooper wants to hear more. So later that night, Thomas goes down to the police station to retell his story. Thomas says he couldn't see his face. He just knew that he could tell that he was black and that he was large. But Lieutenant Cooper doesn't find the 14-year-old credible. When you're dealing with witnesses who may be giving false information, sometimes they will use a stereotypical description of a fictional suspect. And depending on the geography where you live, it sort of formulates their idea of a criminal. He suspects Thomas knows more about the crime than he's letting on. I told him that coming forward with information is obviously the right thing to do, that it can be a scary thing, but that it's the right thing to do for Mrs. Ferris. Thomas got pretty upset at that point, and um, he started crying. And we asked him, what's, the, what's wrong? Why are you crying? He said it was because he missed Mrs. Ferris. Thomas is allowed to leave, but Lieutenant Cooper is confident he's the best lead in the case. At this point in the investigation, I still have numerous detectives focused on exhausting and ruling out these other potential suspects, but the focus is really shifting pretty heavily toward Thomas Mallow. The next step is to visit the Mallow home. We wanted to approach the Mallow family and ask for consent to search their property, just to see if there was any evidence that may assist in the investigation. The next day, detectives drive over to the west side of Charleston. They aren't sure what to expect when they pull up to Frame Street. The impression was that uh, they were a very strange family. It wouldn't surprise me if one or several of them may be dangerous or violent people, maybe disturbed based on their behavior. But much to Lieutenant Cooper's surprise, Father Alex Mallow is helpful and cooperative. He didn't hesitate. He agreed immediately, and there was no opposition put forth by the family at all. And they all seemed to be putting their best foot forward and their happy face on. The front door opens, and detectives are completely unprepared for what lies inside. When you walk in, the first thing you notice were cockroaches. And by cockroaches, I mean many, many cockroaches. Uh, there were items that appeared to be moving because they were covered in so many uh, of those nasty little insects. Everybody noticed that the floor moved uh, because of the amount of cockroaches. And they looked closer uh, and realized that these are live roaches that are crawling over dead ones. As investigators search the downstairs, they quickly discover something even worse than the roaches. The smell, I mean, there was a real stench. There was fecal matter lying around um, that uh, was obviously human. The toilet was not in working order. The floors were covered with debris. Just a real overwhelming amount of just uh, filth. Police then head for the stairs, dodging more roaches, debris, and fecal matter. Detective Keener goes upstairs and finds Trina and her children up there. The children were lying on a mattress. 
and they appeared to be poorly cared for. Uh, there was a hole in the floor near where they slept that uh, seemed, appeared that someone could easily fall through and get hurt. There is no doubt that the small children must be removed from the house. We started realizing that this murder investigation was growing legs, that there were other issues that were going to have to be dealt with as well. Uh, the welfare of the small children, if there was neglect and abuse going on. But so far, there's nothing to indicate any involvement with Phyllis's murder. Downstairs, Lieutenant Cooper continues to chat with the Mallow family. During the search, I was on the front porch with the entire Mallow family. They were all basically in a circle around me. It isn't long before the conversation takes a sinister turn. During our conversation, Ferris mentions to me that he thinks that my head would look very good on their mantle, the way you would mount a deer's head. You start to get the impression at that point that, that you may be dealing with some dangerous people. And Lieutenant Cooper notices one family member acting even more strangely. While I was on the porch with the Mallow family, uh, Thomas was listening and watching from the side. Well, at some point during the conversation, I noticed that Thomas had slipped away. And detectives discovered Thomas behind the house. Thomas was crawling into a crawl space under the house. Excuse me, son, what are you doing? Detective Keener asked him, what are you doing? And Thomas acted very defensively and said, I'm not doing anything. After Thomas moved away, Detective Keener goes in there. And what he discovers is uh, a black sweatshirt with a hood. Detective Keener knew that there was a possibility that he had just found something related to the crime across the street. It's dark and damp in there, but it appears to him that there may be a foreign substance on it. The detective brings the sweatshirt to the front of the house where the Mallows are waiting. And as soon as he appears with the shirt, Carolyn Mallows points out that that's the shirt that the boys were cleaning fish guts with the other day. That that's, there's fish blood all over that shirt. And Ferris interjects. That ain't fish blood, that's deer blood. Deer blood. Deer blood. It could be either one. Both. We could be, could be both. With different stories from different family members, Lieutenant Cooper's suspicions are heightened and the sweatshirt is taken into evidence. The family was circling its wagons. They were making up stories as they were going along and adding on. And once you've told one, you add on another one. The problem is sometimes you forget what you told people the first time. It was becoming clear that someone in the Mallow family was responsible for the murder of Mrs. Ferris. So we asked them to come back down to the station so that we can clear up this situation with the shirt and with the inconsistencies that we're adding up. Meanwhile, another important call is made. The police officers contacted our Child Protective Services. The police are required to do it um, when they see a child in danger. At the conclusion of the search of the home, CPS decides to remove the young children, including Thomas. Needless to say, the family was not very happy. 
The fact that CPS came in and pulled three children out of the home sounds like it's the first time that this family really has had its sanctity challenged. They would become angry and turn on everybody else. Still, the focus of the investigation remains on the murder. And the only potential piece of evidence is the dirty sweatshirt recovered from the Mallow home. After we collect the sweatshirt and we test the substance on it, it is confirmed to be blood. Once we realized we now have blood on a sweatshirt buried under the Mallow house, we now have probable cause. And that's enough for investigators to secure a search warrant. The evidence was mounting up and circumstances had changed. We obtained the search warrant. Uh, we returned to the Mallow home. It's no longer may we. It's now we're here to do our job and it's time for you to clear out so that we can do our job. One by one, each member of the Mallow family is called down to the police station for questioning. They were all said they saw nothing out of the ordinary, had no idea how this happened to their neighbor. That loyalty to the family is doing whatever it takes to keep everybody in the fold. Obviously, they're seeking to protect their own world there. Charleston police are convinced the key to solving the murder of Phyllis Ferris lies with 14-year-old Thomas Mallow. We assumed that it would be another varying fictitious version of the events that took place that night. But when they sit down to question him for a third time, detectives notice a distinct change in Thomas's demeanor. There seemed to be a little different this time, Jenna's body language, like maybe we were going to get some, some real information. Sensing the teenager has something more to say, detectives press him further. He breaks down becomes tearful, and he admits that he had uh, killed Mrs. Ferris. It was uh, a bit of a surprise uh, based on how the previous interviews had gone. There are only a certain number of permutations and explanations people can come up with, and he just may have run out of alternate explanations. And then Thomas goes into excruciating detail of what really happened that night. He tells investigators that he was outside, um, he was making noise. Phyllis came outside and told him to be quiet. That made him angry and he went home and he wants to do something about it. With retaliation on his mind, Thomas grabs his six-inch knife. Thomas approached Mrs. Ferris's door, knocked on it, got her out of bed. She comes and answers the door. He makes an excuse to get into the house. Ever the good neighbor, Phyllis obliges. And then he tells Miss Ferris that there are some kids throwing rocks at her house. And then as she's looking out the window, he attacks her. He says that she had her back to him. He stabbed her. She turned back around and said, you're killing me, Thomas. Thomas stabs Phyllis Ferris approximately 35 times. He continued to stab her in the throat until she was dead. And then Thomas begins to cover his tracks. He told investigators that he took the knife and he went to a different part of the neighborhood and he threw it down some stairs. So investigators went out and looked for the knife in that area and weren't able to find it. 
and the sweatshirt he was wearing ended up in the crawl space under the house. Now Detective Cooper must understand why. When you take a child who's had all the negative aspects that he has had in his life, he has behaved in a rageful and impulsive fashion. The pressure does build, and sometimes you look for a target. And at 14, he found a target. He found a woman across the street that was vulnerable. But Thomas's confession is only the beginning to a much darker story. When Thomas finally broke and began spewing information, as well as confessing to his role in Mrs. Ferris's murder, he also uh, details uh, abuse that he was subjected to. As squalid as the conditions were inside the Mallow home, the treatment of Thomas by his elders was much worse. Thomas got the most of it. It didn't make a difference what kind of belt it was. If it wasn't a belt, it was a club. If it wasn't a club, it was a shoe. Thomas is scared of his family. I'm not gonna be afraid to tell you that, but Thomas is afraid of his family. He is. But fear does not excuse the brutality of his crime. Not to say that his situation wasn't bad, but lots of people grow up in really bad situations and do not do what Thomas did. I don't see him as a victim. It was a great relief to know that we were going to be able to punish the person responsible for her murder. When it comes to this family, there's much more than murder to investigate. It begins when detectives uncover another vile act by one of the Mallows. More information came to light about anything ranging from abuse to neglect that had taken place in the Mallow home. We learned that Mikey had abused one of the children in the house. A separate investigation took place into that. It was determined that Mikey had struck one of Trina's children in their private parts, um, and he had used a ruler to do it. Within hours of Thomas's arrest, his older brother Mikey is brought down to the station. When he came to the police station, we informed him that he was being charged. Mikey is placed under arrest. And though the murder of Phyllis Ferris has been solved, the floodgates have been opened. And the Mallow family's darkest secrets are about to come to light. We investigated Carolyn and Alexander Mallow and Trina Mallow for the conditions in the house. There were minor children living in the house and these conditions uh, created a risk of serious bodily injury to these kids. One by one, Police prepare arrest warrants for Thomas's father, Alexander, his mother, Carolyn, and his sister, Trina. Following Thomas's arrest, it seemed like Charleston police really just sort of cleaned house, and Thomas's mom and his dad were arrested. Thomas's sister, Trina, was arrested, all for child neglect, creating the risk of injury. It takes less than 24 hours to put five members of the Mallow family under arrest. Given what we know, the Mallows are a fringe part of society. The Mallows are a tragedy because they don't know how bad they are and they don't know how much damage they've done. 
and the vicious cycle of physical and emotional abuse passed on from parent to child may go back countless generations. The problem with the Mallow family is it just didn't start with Thomas. If you backtrack, it goes to his parents, and likely what we're going to see is that stream going across different generations. Like dominoes, each member of the Mallow family falls and lands behind bars for the crimes they had committed. All that was left really was Ferris. But soon, an unexpected phone call will shed one final blast of light on the darkest secret left in the Mallow home. You think, okay, it's over. Well, not so fast. She told the police that her stepfather had exchanged beer money and crack for her. She was forced to have sex during this time. It's almost in the family like a cult. With criminal allegations from murder to molestation, only one member of the Mallow family remains out of jail. The Mallows don't know how bad they are, and they don't know how much damage they've done. But that's about to change with a single phone call. Francis Hedrick contacted police about Ferris Mallow. Uh, Ms. Hedrick had been married to Ferris Mallow, had a relationship with the family, uh, and knew everyone involved. I got to thinking that, well, if somebody could do something to an old lady that don't bother nobody, then who could be next? Francis soon arrives at the station and tells police a sordid history of abuse during the two years they were married and long after. Because of all of the attention, Miss Hedrick came forward and told the police that Ferris had broken into the house that she was living in and had raped her. We would take a statement from Frances and she explains the sexual assault that took place at, at the hands of Ferris Mallow. I think there for a while she might have been afraid to say something. You know, because I mean, a lot of people was afraid to say something. And it's that fear that has kept Francis silent for so long. My main concern was making sure that he didn't get a hold of or do anything to my kids. Now that the family's misdeeds have become known to the public, Francis feels she must come forward. And detectives discover the abuse she suffered is only the tip of the iceberg. We got into investigating Ferris and found a case in our office that had been opened previously against Ferris. It's yet another disturbing report with the name Mallow on top. That report contained an accusation against Ferris about a minor. She told the police that her stepfather had exchanged beer money and crack for her with Ferris. She was forced to have sex with Ferris during this time. But she was eventually able to escape his grasp. And the information provided by uh, Francis, we were able to corroborate that and, and get him into custody. That was a relief because uh, Ferris Mallow is a dangerous person. So here you have basically the entire Mallow family being hauled off to jail. And then you think, OK, it's over. Well, not so fast. Then the very next day, Ferris Mallow is arrested in what could possibly be, aside from the murder, one of the more disturbing cases. All told, the Mallow family stands accused of second-degree murder, neglect, sexual abuse, burglary, and sexual assault. 
Isn't it interesting? In the period of three days, you go from having a murder be the issue to having a family that has such depth of depravity and such a depth of non-caring about humanity. The idea that the family was arrested on abuse and neglect kind of things and did not mention Farris's last great act, and it took somebody else to raise that issue, just shows how compartmentalized and how much they are not willing to accept that what they were doing was viewed by them as anything wrong. And now, every member of the Mallow family is behind bars, except for the two youngest who are in the custody of CPS. The West Side neighborhood finally breathes a sigh of relief. It was definitely a shock to the community to see basically the entire family getting arrested for various crimes. But I think there was also a collective sigh of relief because a lot of people in that community knew something wasn't right and something was being done. First thing came out of my mouth, said, hallelujah, praise the Lord, they're all behind the bars. Human beings are very strange creatures. And once somebody determines a course of action, whether it's living in a, in a tent, living in a mansion, or living in squalor, they kind of create their own value system. It's almost, in the family, like a cult. And the first member to face the law for his crime is Thomas. We offered a second-degree murder offer, which Thomas and his lawyer accepted. So it's a whole lot of time for a 14-year-old to be looking at. He waives his status as a juvenile. He becomes an adult. And after that, he pleads guilty. Thomas receives 40 years for the murder of elderly Phyllis Ferris. Neighbors are glad to see justice for their dear friend. Thomas deserved to get the 40 years for what he had done to Phyllis because there's just, she did not deserve that. Nobody deserves to be killed like that. Alexander, Carolyn, and Trina must also face a judge for the deplorable conditions they allowed the youngest Mallows to live in. All three of the Mallows that were indicted for neglect, uh, creating risk of serious bodily injury, all of them pled guilty to that crime and all of them were sentenced uh, for that crime. Alexander is sentenced to three years in prison. Carolyn receives 10 months behind bars. Finally, Trina is sentenced to five years in prison. Michael is the next to face the law. In court, it was just incredible because he would speak to the judge so candidly. He never, ever showed any sort of remorse about what he was actually charged with. We negotiated a plea with Mikey and he ended up pleading guilty to two counts of third degree sexual abuse. He is given the maximum sentence of 180 days. Ferris is the last to go before the judge. Ferris was sentenced for three different crimes, nighttime burglary, sexual abuse by a parent, guardian, and custodian, and third degree sexual assault. Ferris receives a 40-year sentence. In the aftermath, friends and neighbors are left to pick up the pieces and struggle to understand how one family could go so wrong. The Mallow case is tragic. 
things that were going on in the house led to uh, something very bad happening to a complete innocent person. Then the tragedy that I'm talking about is what happened to Miss Ferris because she was completely innocent. She did nothing wrong. She just happened to live across the street from them. The answer may only be found in the past. It's not just today. It was yesterday and a year ago and a generation ago. So what we have is people going across generations. Unfortunately, it may go on to the future, and that's really, really disconcerting. Sometimes life inside a family becomes a distorted reality, and the innocent suffer the consequences. I didn't think I'd let it get to me like that, but it does. I can just see Phyllis coming out there on the porch. I miss talking to her every day. We sat out on the porch. If it was too cold to sit on the porch, we talked on the phone. But I, I miss her every day. Thomas's case was reviewed when he turned 18. His 40-year sentence was reaffirmed. Alexander, Carolyn, Trina, and Michael have served their time and currently live in and around Charleston, West Virginia. Ferris remains in jail. Trina's two children have flourished in foster care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.